Out of the imagination of Ralph Bakshi comes an epic fantasy of peace and magic set 10 million years in the future. A tale of wizards. Attention! Leaders of tomorrow! The evil Black Wolf and Avatar the Good wage a desperate battle in the final struggle for world supremacy. Wizards, rated BG. Find it as satisfying as uh, coming is. I have sex with the woman and they come. I'm just feeling I'm coming, <laughs> coming in the gym, coming uh, on the stage with my pose. You know, I'm just I'm coming day and night. I am in heaven. I just had, had to. Sorry. Radio Drome. It's another episode of Radio Drome. This time, Radio Drome Crea 1977. So you should hear some funky beats and some weed in the air. Charlie's not here, so we have to go with Cecil instead. Who he, <laughs> he, He's high on NyQuil, so... I'm suffering and dying, Senator. And back this week is Peter, because apparently I didn't bury him deep enough when I bashed him over the skull and tried to bury him in my yard. He escaped. Yes, I escaped from a galaxy far, far away. We'll get there. Shut up. <laughs> we'll get there. Before we go there, if you guys want to go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME. You will get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now that said, we're going to look at 1977. Other than Star Wars, <laughs> what 1977 film jumps out at you? Star Wars. God damn it! <laughs> um, just just one. Pick one or two that jump out. That's not Star Wars. All right. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and mm, I'll say Smokey and the Bandit. Well, I'd have to go with uh, Suspiria, as that's um, probably my favorite Dario Argento film, and uh, just. Coincidentally enough, it happened to come out in 1977. I still say Phenomena is better, but Suspiria is a good movie. It is. I just like Phenomena better is all. If I'm leaving out Star Wars, the ones that jump out at me are Ralph Bakshi's Wizards and a movie I bring up all the time and Nut's going to say, again, that movie is Tentacles from Acevedo Asinitis. Those are the films that I remember. I mean, obviously, I do remember Exorcist 2 and stuff like that. Wizards was so visually striking, it's always stuck out to me. We're, we're having the fallout of the blockbusters that began in 1975, because as we discussed previously, Cecil, 1976 was trying to recreate the accidental blockbuster that was Jaws to some positive effect to mostly negative effect. And we see that very much in play in 1977. As I said, we'll get to Star Wars because you have, you have other big movies coming out, but a lot of people seem to forget about does anyone else remember that Rolling Thunder came out this year? Now, a shattering new film from the creator of Taxi Driver. Rolling Thunder. There's a storm brewing in this man. They took his arm, his family, and his soul. His anger is building. And it's going to explode. 
in Rolling Thunder, rated R. I, I did not, and I love that movie. I didn't realize it came out in 1977. Yeah, I mean, uh, only because I was looking at a list earlier, I remember. But uh, yeah, Airport 77 was 77. <laughs> well, I would hope so with that title. <laughs> you earlier brought up Close Encounters. Close Encounters was meant prior to Star Wars to be the big film. You know, you got Spielberg coming off of Jaws prior to that Sugarland Express, and which was a modest hit, even though nobody remembers that he did that. You had Close Encounters really trying to solidify the whole, quote, serious sci-fi. Because remember, up to this point, you had Logan's Run kind of stuff, and sci-fi was not considered really serious. And then Close Encounters was supposed to be that. And it's funny how it kind of lost out on that even to Star Wars. I, watching it, well, obviously I didn't grow up in 1977, but from what I remember about it when I watched it as a kid, like I'm just going off of like first impressions, I just remember Richard Dreyfus playing with mashed potatoes and making a mountain out of mashed potatoes. And as a kid going, what the fuck is he doing? And then, of course, I finally understood later on, probably because the first time I watched it was uh, halfway through. The next couple times I watched it, I saw that it was a very nice, moody sci-fi film with the great use of music, chilling in a way, especially for a film film about aliens that abduction scene where melinda dillon's kid gets abducted that's Mm -hmm. a horror movie scene that scene is legitimately creepy yeah that that scene could have been in fire in the sky and it would have been just as effective absolutely yeah one of my all-time favorite uh spielberg movies it's just the the lighting in it and the use of special effects and the story like i mean you want to talk about a movie that hits on all cylinders it's not boring it's completely interesting it's something you can watch over and over again uh there's so many different facets to it like you said it's it uh, has horror movie elements it has adventure movie elements it has drama it has comedy it has a little bit of something for everybody and uh, i actually i was i don't remember how old i was exactly but uh my parents and i went on a um a cross-country trip and because of the movie i like insisted i'm like we have to go to devil's tower so we went there and of course i'm trying to walk around the perimeter looking for the secret government you know base where uh, they meet the aliens <laughs> I was very disappointed. I walked around the whole thing, and then like they must have moved it. <laughs> maybe Sons if you built them up, maybe if you'd built a scale model out of mashed potatoes, it had worked. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. I didn't build the. I didn't make the mashed potato devil's tower. Yeah, it's just a, a terrific movie. The acting in it is phenomenal. Like everything is great. And the thing that really bothers me. When when you get directors like Spielberg who get a little bit older and he had said in an interview that, you know, they're like, you know, if you could change something with your career, you know, what would you do? And he was like, I would go back in time and not make Close Encounters. And they were like, why? And he was like, because I can't. He's like, because I'm married now and I have such a loving wife and all this, like I couldn't fathom doing a movie where the lead character up and leaves his wife and Terry Gar was a complete shrew in that movie. She was, but the whole thing, I'm just like, all right, so you're okay to film movies with people murdering each other? Like, does that mean you support murder? No, you know, you're you're in a movie, you know, you're directing a movie where a guy leaves his, like you said, shrew of a wife and, uh, you know, goes uh, basically, uh, you know, meets these the aliens and goes to their planet. Uh, It's like, it's not real. You're just, it pissed me off so much that he would 
like one of one of the movies that essentially cemented his career that he would go back and undo because of such a like non issue. Like it's not like if he made the movie, his wife was like, oh, God, you're going to leave, you know, like. Uh, it just it really pissed me off and uh it, it just it bugged me it always bothered me after i saw i don't know if he's ever changed his tune over that i don't know if he was saying that to appease his wife it just really bugged me but yeah but anyway close encounters is, is just an amazing movie close encounters had a weird side effect both on cinema and on on culture because it, it was a cultural milestone and it was the first film where they said you know what let's go back and change everything around Spielberg, everyone blames George Lucas for, you know, not leaving the product alone. When Close Encounters first debuted on television, it had extra scenes put in, including an extra scene inside the spaceship shot for the TV version. Then when it came out on videotape, it had a new another version. Then when it came out on videotape again, it was in a different cut. Then it, when it was on HBO, he rearranged some of the scenes. So Spielberg's never really been happy with the movie. Close Encounters also brought, we talked about it before, Cecil, in the previous one, about how that 70s, you know, hooey phenomena were all out there. Oh, boy, did this bring all the UFO nuts to the forefront. They're on all the talk shows now and everything. In a weird way, Close Encounters legitimized the UFO abductee phenomena. Well, and then there was one other film that was supposed to be a monster smash in 1977. Close Encounters was. This other film, not so much. This was also Exorcist to the Heretics year. John <laughs> Borman's disastrous, gorgeous piece of cinematography. Exorcist to the Heretic is a god-awful movie. It is one of the most beautiful god-awful movies ever. The cinematographer deserves an Academy Award, while John Borman deserves to be beaten in an alley for this movie. Exorcist 2 is fun and complete shit. That's about as simple as you can get with it. It's really insane. It's a very poor sequel to the to the first Exorcist, of course, but it's fun. It's fun seeing Linda Blair in her basically early beginnings of being coked out of her mind. It's a really fast, <laughs> really fast, weird movie on all technical levels. Of course, it's not, it's not a particularly good movie. It's well shot. It looks nice. I feel like a better follow up to The Exorcist is the third one, but I can see why uh, Exorcist 2 is uh, absolutely a, a flop. Uh, rightfully so, but I think it's become a nice little cult film since then. It's been a while since I've seen it. I just remember it uh, being uh, a wonderful train wreck that if you were to separate it from The Exorcist somehow, it probably would not be uh, viewed as harshly as it is. Because it is goofy, fun, it's good looking, but it's all over the place. Oh, it's a bad movie. And it was actually so bad that two things were done to this movie that had only been done, one of them had only been done a few times in the past. When Exorcist 2 first came out, it was 16 minutes longer than any of us have ever seen. It played for four days before Warner Brothers was getting such disastrous reviews and people walking out of the movie that they had John Borman pull it out of theaters for a day and he recut the movie by deleting 16 minutes of footage and then it was re-released. That 16 minutes of footage has never shown up again. John Borman says they don't know what happened to it. So the only way you've ever seen that 16 minutes of footage is if you saw it the first four days of its release in 1977. Otherwise, <laughs> there are 16 minutes of deleted scenes out there somewhere. The other thing that this set forth was Warner Brothers learned a lesson. Now, John Borman was coming off Deliverance, and he had such 
Hollywood power in Hollywood. Warner Brothers released the film without a single executive watching it. They said after the disastrous turn of Exorcist 2, I'm going to quote a top Warner Brothers executive, that's the last time we ever release a movie without screening it. I think John Borman kind of screwed up if if he got a new policy instituted that, yeah, we need to watch these things first. I think it was very um, ballsy. <laughs> I think that uh, it's nice that they, they uh, had faith in the guy. Unfortunately, it ended up royally screwing them in the end. And, uh, you know, uh, I... I don't know. I think that uh, still still they should take the time to watch something that they've invested in. Uh, and then I don't know. I think error in favor of the director would be like, OK, watch it. And then uh, if you didn't like it, ask, well, you know, why why should we release it like this? We think it should have this or, you know, I, I think that um, I mean, producers and, and the studio should always have some say, but I think that they should also trust in their director's instincts and, um, you know, listen to him and see if he has valid points, but um, never just be like, OK, good enough, and then release it. And then you have a disaster like that, like Exorcist 2. Also in 1977, we had we had some interesting films come out, such as Kentucky Fried Movie. Kentucky Fried Movie, I think, is a fantastically fun film that is incredibly unique and completely overlooked in its 1977 context for just how groundbreaking it really was. Kentucky Fried Movie, I remember, like, it might have been, I mean, it's not really an anthology. It's more of, like, just a bunch of skits all thrown together. And There uh, is a kind of narrative, and, you know, some of the skits come back onto other ones. So there's the entire Arrow thing that runs through the whole movie. There, There is a weird narrative to it. It's been a while. I just remember, like, I remember the big ones. I remember, uh, was it Zinc Oxide, where they're like, you know, does you know, what would happen if you no longer had zinc oxide and like everything fault, you know, the, the brakes on your car, the, you know, the wire in your bra, like everything's falling apart. I remember that. I remember, um, was it Catholic high school girls in trouble? Catholic because, high school girls in trouble. Yes. Well, More offensive than Mandingo. More shocking than behind the green door. More erotic than deep throat. You will cream in your jeans when you see Catholic High School Girls in Trouble. Samuel L. Bronkowitz presents Linda Chambers recreating her classic role and introducing Susan Joyce and Nancy Reeves. Susan, this is Nancy. Nancy, this is Susan. The screen has never dared to be so explicit. Show me your nuts. Oh, how you doing? Learn from your face. Oh. 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 Mrs. Burke, I, I thought you were Dale. You know, people often mistake me for my teenage daughter, Dale. Never before has the beauty of the sexual act been so crassly exploited. The bizarre story of what happens when high school girls are allowed to stay out after curfew. Finally, an adult motion picture has the courage to reveal the truth about masturbation. Brutal. 
savage. Beyond perversion, you must see Catholic High School Girls in Trouble. You know, I think that might, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that might have been the first time I saw boobies. So that was kind of a, a big moment. Boobies uh, being pressed against the shower door when she's getting rammed from behind. Yeah, that's... The, that was hilarious. I remember, oh, what was the, the big black dude comes in and takes the woman away? And you also had the amazing fictional movie producer Samuel L. Bronkowitz and all of his fake movie trailers. Oh, that would be yeah. amazing movies. Samuel L. Bronkowitz presents Scared Shitless by the Samuel L. Bronkowitz production of That's Armageddon. Samuel L. Bronkowitz presents yeah, I, just, I, I want Samuel L. Bronkowitz to actually exist and make films. I remember, like, you know, bits and pieces of it. I really got to go back and watch it. I remember it being just really hilarious. Like, I mean, of course, like anything like that, you know, you're going to have ones that are better than others. But uh, I remember as a whole, like, really enjoying it and think it was funny and uh, just uh, completely irreverent and over the top and silly and uh, entertaining. And then you also had comedies. This is the same year that we had more Bad News Bears sequels. So you have comedies like Kentucky Fried Movie, and then you've got stuff like Bad News Bears. I guess something for all audiences? Didn't... Uh, it, it, it's been a long time since... Because there was... What was there? There was three Bad News... There was Bad News Bears. What was it? Bad News Bears 2, and then Bad, bad News, news Bears... Bad, the, the one from this year is Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Okay, and then... So there was three altogether. I think. I've never been a big fan of that franchise. So. Oh, you're nuts. The first movie is hysterically funny. You but... just like Jackie Earl Haley using racial epithets at people. Uh, look, who doesn't? Who exactly? Exactly. It's hearing. I, I remember I had shown that to my wife uh, last year and she was laughing hysterically, but going, oh, my God, I can't believe. And she's like, what's this rated? I'm like, PG. She's like, what? <laughs> it was the 70s. That is a 70s PG. And she's like, they're yeah. she's, she's like, uh, Walter Matt, because she knew Walter Mathal from uh, Grumpy Old Men. She's like, the Grumpy Old Man is is drunk driving with children. She's like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I, but didn't didn't the Bad News Bears movies have like what happened to the Revenge of the Nerds movies? They started off really bad and then like bad as in like dirty, and they got progressively like more and more watered down love and remember the original and then i remember the second and third being just kind of like disappointing and uh and not particularly good but again it's been a very long time since i've seen either of those so mostly because i just i it, i mean they didn't have like a lot of the cast back and it's just eh, i don't i don't particularly remember them being good but anyway but yeah i, I love the original well and then you, you also had other things like the the arguable other big movie Okay, you had Close Encounters, you had Star Wars, and then you had Saturday Night Fever. We mm. can't ignore it, even though I want to. You're Saturday nuts. Night Fever. I love Saturday Night Fever. I actually That's forgot sad. that that came out in 77. Yeah. <laughs> now you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The hair. Don't touch the hair. The, you Isn't know what? That, that movie features a guy getting stabbed in the dick with a switchblade, from what I remember, during like one of the fight scenes or something. They're fighting dudes at a club, and a guy just gets stabbed in the junk. Like That's what I remember from it, seeing it as a kid. So, that's something. 
I just remember well, hating disco and going, the soundtrack has to die. But the thing is, you have to look at it beyond just the soundtrack. It is a piece, like, that is a piece of time, and that is the music that was yeah. there. But the stuff that was going on, like, a lot of people, they only remember, you know, Stallone in the dance club with the white suit, and he's doing the finger-pointing dance Stallone? thing. Stallone? Or Stallone. <laughs> Stallone. I think uh, you're getting confused since uh, Stallone directed this. Th- th- I think you're thinking of Staying Alive. Stallone, staying I don't alive. think can. Well, no, I just, I just did Demolition Man, and I had to re-record, and I was saying Stallone like a million times, so... <laughs> I have like Stallone on the on the tongue. So yes, Travolta. Travolta in the club, you know, doing the finger pointing thing and but people don't like remember much beyond well unless, you know, except for the really big fans of the movie, but the general public doesn't remember the stuff that was beyond the movie. You know, the dude going to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge to kill himself and Yeah. I mean, it, it was a very not like if you only you remember the club stuff, you would think it was like a happy uplifting movie and it's not. Like Peter Which it said, isn't dramatic elements in that film and i think a lot of people need to to go back and re-experience it you know what film i wish people would go and re-experience we all love dino de Laurentiis, and we talked about it in the last one of these cecil with uh monkey die audience cry he decided you know what i'm gonna one-up jaws orca the killer whale yeah released by dino this year yeah the opening scene is an orca killing a great white Dino, king of subtlety here. <laughs> it was a nice, uh, it, it was a nice kick in the pants to, to but then they, and then up... the critics saw the movie and wow, did Orca not work? Yeah. Orca didn't like Orca has really good moments. I mean, the, it bites off Bo Derek's leg. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was vicious. It was a, it wasn't what I would particularly say is a good movie, but it is an entertaining movie. Do you know, um, do you know how to not get killed by the Orca? Stay out of the water. Well, that goes <laughs> that goes for any like uh, you know giant fish movie, uh, except for maybe like Shark uh, Sharknado. You know, as long as you stay away from the water, but then there wouldn't be any movie. You know, the whole the whole point is to to have people get killed by the uh, by the shark and uh, and watching uh, Richard Harris overact like mad. Oh, he's fantastic in that movie. He he is one of the reasons to watch the film. That whole like finale of him going toe to toe with the whale and actually getting killed at the end and everything. It's it's a really it's it's not a particularly smart film. It's a really sleazy film. It's a Dilo it's a Dino De Laurentiis film. That's as as simple as it gets. It's really sleazy. You see um a baby whale get, you know, gutted and killed on the on you know at, on the hull of a ship or whatever and then you know the whale gets the whole Charles Bronson mindset and it's it's a revenge <laughs> movie it's it's a fucking revenge movie starring a killer whale like what's not to love about that that's that's fantastic oh on an exploitation level yes yeah on a quality level not so much not so much no <laughs> well and then speaking of exploitation level we're sticking with the animal kingdom william shatner and kingdom of the spiders was this year <laughs> An unknown species of horror is born as science fiction becomes science fact. I've never seen anything like it. One minute they weren't there, the next minute they were everywhere. An army of deadly predators searching, destroying anything in their path. He's over at Covey's. He's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned. Why did they come? What do they want? The spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army. A living, crawling hell on Earth. The Kingdom of the Spiders. A wild science fiction nightmare. Starring William Shatner, Tiffany Bowling, Woody Strode, and introducing Alta Davis. 
your nightmares will never be the same. Kingdom of the Spiders. The next victim could be you. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Yes. Oh, that's right. Now, one of the best endings ever. I, 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 I like to look at Night of the Lepus versus Kingdom of the Spiders. Dr. McCoy saying, oh, yeah, Shat, I got killer bunnies. Okay, you win. <laughs> that that ending where the, the spiders are taking over the town and, like, they're real live tarantulas by the hundred. Just, just oh, God. Just how how could you, like, oh. It's just, it's so <laughs> creepy. I can't imagine. Like, because that was not, you know, we're not talking CGI. We're not talking, we're talking mm-hmm. opening doors and having, like, waves of spiders come rushing at you. Oh. And they're stomping on these things. Can you imagine a movie coming out today where they're killing real animals on film? I'm against killing animals on film, like Cannibal Holocaust and Shark's Treasure and that. For some reason... I'm okay with it because it's tarantulas and they're creepy. Yeah, f- spiders. Spiders have been really... That, I, that would be my dream to step on that many giant, scary, gross, nasty spiders. I think... I love that movie, too. It's... it's And also, like, how could the answer to Kingdom of the Spiders be Night of the, the Lepus? It's like, ooh, bunnies. Nobody gives a... Bunnies aren't scary. Spiders scare the shit out of everybody. That's just going to win every time, hands down. Let's stick with exploitation. Now, we talked about it when we did the full retrospective. Hills Have Eyes come out, came out this year. Yeah, it, it did, didn't it? I still don't think it's a very good film, but it came out this year. Yeah, yeah, me neither. <laughs> that's that's one where the sequel, or I'm sorry, the sequel, the uh, the remake, remake absolutely obliterates it. They took like everything, they took the concept and everything and made it ten times better. And I've had mm. people argue with me about that, where I said on my remix video, where I said that the uh, the hills have no, uh, it's not going to outdo Wes Craven, and I'm like, yeah, they did. Like, the original Hills Have Eyes, I don't, like, it's okay, but the remake is fantastic. The original, I mean, Craven clearly had a very good idea, but he was still an early filmmaker, and I think it was just the lack of experience, not really knowing what to do with the budget. I think he had a great story. It was the execution that just didn't work, and it was a movie that needed a remake, and it got a great one. You go into drama. A lot of dramas, you know, we talk about a lot of the sci-fi and horror stuff. There's a lot of dramas that came out. I'm not exactly sure you'd call the spy the spy who loved me drama, but, you know, that's more of a mainstream thing. So you had another James Bond movie. It's a Roger Moore one, so nobody gives a shit. Ridley Scott's film debut, The Duelists, which I think is an incredibly dull and boring and lifeless movie, but still it's mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's debut. And then you've got stuff like Robert Shaw, Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bissett, and Louis Gossett Jr. in The Deep. From Peter Benchley, author of Jaws, comes a story so riveting the suspense is awesome. The story of David and Gail, two lovers caught up in a thrilling underwater adventure. A story of intrigue. A story of terror. The number one bestseller, The Deep. Now a paperback. Soon a Columbia picture. Starring Robert Shaw, Jacqueline Bissett, and Nick Nolte. The Deep. Read it. See it. The Deep. Now, I've never read the novel. I, I know it's taken a lot of, the movie takes a lot of criticism for deviating from the novel. I think the movie's actually a pretty decent little thriller. Judging from the poster, you'd think is a monster movie, but it actually is about drug dealers diving to get old morphine from a shipwreck. It's <laughs> not a bad movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Um, 
only seen it like once a couple of years back just because uh, I like those actors and I, I wanted to I wanted to see Robert Shaw and, and uh, other things. Um, and of course, I like Nick He's Nolte. still an angry drunk. Yep, still an angry drunk. Louis Gossett Jr. is great. It's just kind of one of those, um, you know, like seeing it and being curious because you like the the cast that's in it. And yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool for what it was. And and yeah, I was expecting a like a underwater monster movie, but was pleasantly surprised that it was more of like a drug thriller kind of thing. It's been a long time, so I don't really remember very much from it. I remember I actually had the uh, the comic book adaptation of it, <laughs> but I don't remember much of the of the movie really. Aside from like, didn't they? Wasn't there like a man, uh, not a manta ray, like a like an eel? eel. Or yeah, and an eel kills one of the drug dealers underwater at one point. That, that that was the big, I think, the Jaws moment, if you will. You also had amazing action movies like William Friedkin's Sorcerer with Roy Scheider come out this year. Fantastic action movie in the jungle with giant trucks. Suspense. Adventure. Mystery. Danger. Courage. Sorcerer. Roy Scheider in a new film by William Friedkin. Sorcerer. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. And then, you guys brought it up earlier, Smokey and the Bandit. Arguably Hmm. one of the best 70s car chase thrillers ever. Sorcerer I haven't seen, but I'll, I'll have to since I... That's another curiosity movie. I got to see Roy Scheider and other stuff. Smokey and the Bandit's a classic. I mean, there's really no way to put it. It's a timeless movie, and I think um, everybody that likes, um, you know, fun, sort of goofy action car chase movies uh, needs to do their do themselves a favor and actually check it out because it's it's one of those all time classics. Burt Reynolds at his most burst Burt Reynolds ish. Absolutely. Uh, give me a Diablo sandwich and a Dr Pepper. Make it fast. I'm in a goddamn hurry. <laughs> I actually think one of, one of my favorite moments in that, and I'm hoping I'm not confusing it with the with the second film, where Jerry Reed like goes into a bar and the shot just stays static and he just gets thrown out, and then he just goes back in and gets thrown out again, and the camera never moves. <laughs> I might be confusing that with a different one of the Smokey movies, but that always made me laugh my ass off. That we don't even need to see the fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think uh, it's been it has been a while, but I think that might have been the second one. But it was still uh, it was funny. Sorcerer is a movie that I saw because I thought it was going to be about sorcery. And you, thought it, you thought it was a D&D movie, didn't you? I certainly did. I was like, what? Is, Roy Scheider? And then it ended up being, like you said, you know, in the in the jungle and all that. And it's a great movie. It's so good. And uh, it has that, that crazy uh, across the bridge thing. And it's just really really good but it's totally not at all what i was expecting uh in in a good way i mean i was a little irritated at first because i'm like where's the wizardry you know (laughs) uh, (laughs) the only magic in this is internal combustion Right. But then, you know, I quickly figured out that it, it, you know, was just that wasn't what the name it was. But uh, it's still very good. Um, Smoking the Bandit is just so freaking hilarious. It's like it's like you said, um, Burt Reynolds is just completely on point. Uh, Jackie Gleason is um, like every word out of his mouth is hilarious i just i love it so much the car chases are great uh the use of like the trucks for the car chases and all that and it's it's really just uh a movie that they i'm honestly i'm surprised 
they haven't tried to figure out a way to remake that now. I don't want them Shut to. Shut up. I don't want them to. I don't want them to, but I'm saying it's such a classic. I could almost see them doing like, like having Jonah Hill as uh, like, you know, uh, Jackie Gleason. And then I don't know, have Burt Reynolds be like the grandfather of like the next uh, Burt. Re- I don't know. It's just, it's so hokey. It almost writes itself as far as being a remake. I don't want them to because it, it'll just, it'll blow. There's no way they can recapture that nobody can direct a car chase scene like hal freaking needham no guy's a goddamn uh stunt driver so of course he you know with that and hooper oh my god i used to watch the last 20 minutes of hooper uh like so many times uh because they were just it was we'll get so to hooper that's coming up in another year all right Hooper's, Hooper's a great movie i love Ho- that film hooper's terrific and you know and needham did rad too showing that he knew how to do bicycles as well so <laughs> he, the guy just knew how to shoot action, you know, uh, it just mm-hmm. made everything so dynamic. Black Sunday is a movie that uh, I I had kind of seen it by accident. I, I just started up and I was like, uh, I was on cable one day and I'm like, oh, it's a Frankenheimer film. And it's about a blimp that's going to drop a bomb on the Super Bowl. That's oh, this is great. It's very long. Uh, it's like two and a half hours. But, oh my god, it's just, you've got Bruce Dern playing a, uh, a psychotic uh, ex-Vietnam vet. And... Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. That's Bruce Dern and everything. Well, true. <laughs> well, that's what I, but that's what I'm saying. So you know you got somebody who's on point. Like, he, he's got this down pat. He knows how to play a psychotic. And it's it's so good. He, uh, it, he, he, uh, it's, it is a, a very... 70s movie like it has that like death wish kind of feel to it and it's it's a disaster film it's got so many things mixed up into it uh it's just a terrific movie that a lot of people i don't know why they haven't seen it it's it's so freaking good you also had you brought up charles bronson earlier you had two charles bronson movies this year both of them pretty ridiculous but fun you have telephone with charles bronson from don siegel which is kind of a fun sort of spy thriller kind of not really arguably charles bronson's most ridiculous straight role white buffalo the western where the with the with the white buffalo ghost i only saw it once and i and even as a kid i went yeah i don't need to see this again i've seen white buffalo i've been considering reviewing it that's one of those movies in the back of my head that I'm always like, why haven't I done a video on this one yet? So that one's, uh, I guess I can say, ooh, spoiler alert, uh, new Cinemasochist video five years from now, White Buffalo. I've never seen, I've seen Telephone, but I've never seen White Buffalo. We got Suspiria, as Peter brought up earlier. Ar- I, I, I think arguably Phenomena is a better Argento film, but Suspiria is a great film. At this point... Argento was the opposite of Asinitis, because you have Asinitis putting out something like Tentacles almost the same month that Argento puts out Suspiria. These films are both Italian exploitation, but both on totally different sides. Tentacles is is not a Jaws ripoff, because the story has almost no elements, and it's called a Jaws ripoff, but there's almost no story elements in common with Jaws other than aquatic creature terrorizing coastal town. It's more mm-hmm. of a Jaws cash-in. Yeah. And then Suspiria is this kind of slow burn, mind fuck, moody horror film. Yeah. That, and yet they're both considered Italian exploitation. Yeah, with Suspiria, it kind of really it sort of did its own thing. It didn't really follow any any trends at the same at the time. I mean, you had Orca, which was clearly trying to be kind of a Josh 
Jaws cash in. Tentacles, though not really storyline wise, was obviously kind of a Jaws cash in. Then you got Argento making Suspiria because hey, why the hell not? Let's make a really neon movie about a witch's coven in a in a dance academy. And it's it's a movie that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I don't think it really has to. It moves along very nicely, even with its slow burn quality, because it's just fucking gorgeous to look at. It's a great looking film. Uh, it's a brutal film. Overall, just a great watch, great soundtrack by Goblin, and you got to hand it to Argento for not really following any trends. He was like, I want to make a movie about witches that has a shitload of neon in it, and he did it, and it's awesome. Suspiria is one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. Uh, Whenever, like, I understand that, uh, you know, color correction is very important. Like, I was watching, there's that video flying around where it's showing the importance of color correction. I don't doubt that. But my issue with color correction is when it just dials everything to the same. Okay, you know, you've got this kind of movie, well, everything needs to be gray. You've got this kind of movie, well, everything is orange and teal, you know. Uh, Like, when you go back and you watch a movie like Suspiria, you've got like these just vibrant reds and blues and just like stunning colors and neons and things that stick out and pop. And it just, it looks amazing. And if we had something like that now, it wouldn't have that vibrance of colors or, or they would have like, you know, a limit on the colors. It wouldn't Cecil, come. They have, there has been a rumor of a Suspiria remake for years now, and you just know they're going to make it look like a fucking Saw sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. I know they've been talking about remaking. Uh, they're, they're talking about remaking everything that, uh, you know, has a name tied to it. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they're they're talking about a Suspiria remake. That one, I don't know if it'll ever actually happen. It's possible, um, but who knows? But yeah, it'll it'll just look uh dark and what so i mean that was kind of this uh, that was before things kind of got out of hand where everything just started to kind of look the same whereas like Mm. certain movies oh god i was just watching something the other day where the entire movie was gray and it, it, it was like an action movie and i'm like what can you can you have some color now we've come to star wars now what's funny here <laughs> is how 20th century fox cut its own throat with star wars They barely promoted Star Wars, and they thought it was not going to do much. So they were heavily promoting another movie of theirs called Damnation Alley, which Cecil already went into the big backstory on that. So all of their promotion went to Damnation Alley. Well, they were also releasing, they had picked up the rights to an independently made film called Wizards by Ralph Bakshi. So all three of these movies came out within a week of one another. Star Wars obliterated Damnation Alley and... Ralph Bakshi blames Star Wars for why Wizards did so bad at the box office. See, what happened was Wizards came out a week before Star Wars. Wizards was doing phenomenal box office in that first week. Then Star Wars hit, and all the theater owners were literally pulling Wizards out of out of theaters to put an extra screening of Star Wars in. So he said Wizards really only played for one week. But that one week, it did really well. So he blames its financial failure on coming out a week before Star Wars. And then, of course, the funny coincidence is that Mark Hamill's in Wizards as well. Well, I think it's really stupid on their part to release uh, three movies. One, I mean, Damnation Alley was supposed to be their tentpole film. And then to release two other movies all that close together, that's just bad planning. But uh, Star Wars, uh, thankfully, it, it did well because... 
I mean, think of how many movies have come out over the years that are really amazing that the studio had no faith in that they just dumped either uh, direct-to-video or uh, put in theaters with little to no fanfare. And you're like, this could have been a start of a new franchise. This could have been a new big thing. But you guys just completely dicked all over it. And like it didn't have a chance to flourish. They put so much emphasis into Damnation Alley, which I enjoy. But to be realistic here... Put it, watching Damnation Alley and watching Star Wars, it is a, it's two completely different things. I mean, Star Wars was revolutionary, and Damnation Alley, uh, it was a like cool road movie, but it it cost an obscene amount of money because they had to do so much work in post because uh, the producers were complete idiots. It just com- it shot itself in the foot. There was no way it was going to make uh, the money back that it had dumped into itself. It's it's a good thing that Star Wars did uh, take off because 20th Century Fox would have went bankrupt if not because they had spent so much money on uh, Damnation Alley. Uh, Wizards, I saw a long time ago, and I just remember... Um, I remember it being like other Bakshi movies where, uh, the you know, the animation is that really weird but cool style. I don't remember very much about it. But that completely blows that uh, it ended up getting hosed because, again, you know, the, the studio was stupid and they released uh, the movies too close to each other. The weird animation style you're speaking of is Bakshi used rotoscoping, where he would shoot all of the scenes in live action on black and white film and then have his animators trace over that so the movements were completely realistic mm-hmm. yet in a cartoon and then in wizards he also was dealing with the, the the dichotomy of nazi imagery and he would play live action backgrounds with animated foregrounds which really made the movie look unique and i'm sure in 77 high people loved wizards the week it was in theaters <laughs> Well, the interesting thing with Wizards is maybe it didn't do too well in 1977, but it was kind of a window into what Mark Hamill would ultimately be successful in, and, and that's voice acting. But yeah, that's uh, it's kind of it may not have done well, but, but it's what he ended up doing. Like he ends up being so well known for being the Joker at this point, probably more than Luke Skywalker. And I mean, what is there really to say about? Star Wars with with how popular it is, but recently I I did find out that uh, if it wasn't for Star Wars, we wouldn't have laser tag, apparently. 1984, uh, George Carter had created it, and it was from seeing uh, Star Wars, and he decided that laser tag would be a cool thing. I tried to think of something that uh, maybe people didn't know because, I mean, what really, what the f*** can you say about Star Wars at this point? So I thought that would be interesting. We should mention, though, how Star Wars became a cultural phenomenon that nobody saw coming. Cecil and I talked about it back in the 1975 episode, and Peter, you were here for the Jaws retrospective. Nobody thought Jaws would do what it did. It became, you know, a marketing gold mine. It became everywhere. That's the same thing that happened to Star Wars, but Star Wars had happened faster. Because Jaws was a slow burn. Remember how how Universal released Jaws only at certain parts of the country at the at a time. Star Wars released wide and was almost an instantaneous hit. Like with how Close Encounters brought out all the you know the UFO nuts and you know all that kind of stuff and and it brought out all those Sun Classic films in search of ancient astronauts, in search of Noah's Ark and whatnot. Well, Star Wars brought out the whole sci-fi's not for kids anymore thing, which, you know, those of us who were in into the genre already knew that, but it, it gave yeah. a weird legitimacy to more space opera type, type sci-fi where Close Encounters gave legitimacy to the more, I guess, you would serious-minded sci-fi. What's funny to look back at 
I posted a bunch of copies, a bunch of scans from old magazines at the time, was how people in the science fiction community, writers of paperbacks and people that were writing for TV and whatnot, hated Star Wars and were afraid it would dumb down what they had been <laughs> fighting for so long to try and get legitimacy for. And in a way that in a way they were right, because as we'll discuss when we get to 1978, every studio said, I want a Star Wars, make it happen. And to them, that meant laser blasts and pew, pew, pew noises. And they didn't <laughs> understand why Star Wars worked in 1977. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to the Star Wars ripoffs. Even with Star Wars, you, you can't say this was riding the trend because it came out after. But you've got the weird Australian starship invasions with Christopher Lee and Robert Vaughn coming out. So sci-fi was still in the air even before Star Wars, really. You've got other ones that we need to mention. You have a couple of really key independent films coming out this year, too, such as, as we discussed in the George Romero retrospective, I'm not a fan of the movie. I think it's a far better idea than it is a film. Martin came out this year, as well as Eraserhead from David Lynch. <laughs> so, so you've got two indie filmmakers really making their mark in 1977. Ah, uh, I love Eraserhead. I have not seen Martin, but Eraserhead is uh, definitely one of those great uh, David Lynch films. You know, one of obviously one of his earliest ones. Um, one uh, one thing I that it kind of ties together Suspiria and David Lynch uh, together. Kind of, I had one uh, viewer of my show see my review of Suspiria and say like, "Wow, Dario Argento really has a really has a David Lynch style, doesn't he? It looks a lot like <laughs> Blue Velvet." And I think it was too. And so I got genuinely annoyed, and I was like, "It's like you know that." Lynch was probably inspired by Argento, right? Because an Eraserhead came out the same year as uh, as Suspiria, and uh, Eraserhead is in black and white. I don't know, just some uh, uh, Eraserhead is great, and some people are stupid. I saw Eraserhead uh, in sometime in high school. We had ran it on VHS, and um, I had a friend of mine who uh, he was a punk rock kid, but was really into like weird uh, stuff. So we were always watching like My Beautiful Laundrette and like that kind of stuff. And uh, we watched Eraserhead, and he was a chain smoker. And I just remember like after the movie was over, like I was like, what the f like I had no like I didn't even know what to think after the movie. He he went outside and just started smoking and shaking and be like, I don't I don't even know what to think about that movie, man. Like what what the fuck was that? Like, like he just he couldn't handle it. It just like blew his mind. And the movie is just so weird and just I, I've only seen it twice and I don't really have any desire to watch it again. Not that I I think it's a bad movie. It's just not the kind of movie that you can watch over and over again. Eraserhead's not the kind of movie you pop in and watch for fun. No, not at all, no. Well, Eraserhead didn't make a ton of money, but the highest grossing films of 1977 in order are obviously Star Wars at number one. Number two, not so surprisingly, was Smokey and the Bandit. Number three, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Number four, The Goodbye Girl. I don't know, I've never even seen that. The one, one that kind of surprises me, Oh God, the Carl Reiner film. Oh, that was... surprises me. Not, not that it's on the list, but that it was such a box office success. I did. This one's just kind of weird on that count. Oh, well, that was... What do you... Like, Oh God was, was really big. There was three of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first one, because uh, it was it was uh, John Denver and uh, and George Burns. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the first one, I remember being huge. 
See, I didn't see any of them till video. Well, I didn't see it until like video either. But I remember like uh, I think my parents went to see it on like a, at like a drive uh, drive in back when they were still around. Well, after Oh God, we've got A Bridge Too Far. Me. Then we've got The Deep, which we talked about. The Spy Who Loved Me, and finally, ugh, Annie Hall. I'm not a Woody <laughs> Allen fan at all. So no, Annie Hall does nothing for me. I didn't bring it up before, but Arnold Schwarzenegger and Pumping Iron came out ah, this year. I didn't uh-huh. know that was 1977 either. Yes. Maybe that was 79. Nope. Pumping, well, maybe American release was 79, but the maybe, movie was yeah. made in 77. And then. And we also have to, of course, uh, talk about how, you know, find it as satisfying as uh, coming is. I have sex with the woman in the come. I'm feeling like coming, <laughs> coming in the gym, coming uh, on the stage with my pose. You know, I'm just, I'm coming day and night. I am in heaven. I just had, had to. Sorry. There's a, was another big thing that happened in 1977, four movies, and that was VHS. Mm. On August 23rd, 1977, VHS was introduced to the United States. And then in November that year, Magnetic Video, the very first video label, released 50 20th Century Fox movies, although only seven in the first batch. VHS is now a player in the field from here on. We cannot ignore that. Okay, well, I didn't uh, I didn't know that. didn't know that 77 was the year of uh, VHS. That's uh, pretty cool. Uh, I didn't know that either. Uh, I just – I don't remember – Exactly when I remember at some point in the mid 80s, I remember my dad coming home with this gigantic box and there was, you know, the, this v, <laughs> top, top loader VHS player. And uh, we went to the local video store and you had to give like a hundred dollar deposit in order to like rent movies. And uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a whole like big to do. The, w- the way my dad explained it to me with our VCR is don't touch it. It's worth more than you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dad, people, an emotionally and physically abusive alcoholic. That's what I grew up with. <laughs> that said, 1977, a good year in film or a bad year in film? Sum up 1977 in film. Say it was a pretty great year in film. Uh, it's not my favorite year, but it does have a few of my favorite movies. Uh, one that we didn't uh, mention, another sports movie, now that I'm reminded of uh, Pumping Iron and whatnot, is uh, Slapshot with uh, Paul Newman. Oh. And even as a even as a Canadian that is not a hockey fan, I love that movie. I think it's a great little comedy drama sports movie uh, about goons in the in the hockey hockey league that like basically get paid up to beat up the other players. It's a fantastic performance from Paul Newman. And anybody that's a fan of sports films or just a fan of of really good dramatic comedies and Especially, I mean, who couldn't be a fan of Paul Newman? Definitely check out Slapshot. That's a that's one I've been kind of waiting to talk about in this whole episode because it is one of my favorite films from 1977. Star Wars. <laughs> that's that. That's your entire sum up of the year is Star Wars, huh? Star Wars. All right, fine. And <laughs> I, I also want to point out it was not Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It was literally just Star Wars. They didn't add the episode for a new hope until the video release. So it was just star Ah. Wars at that point. 1977 is another key year in film. And you're going to see some years where you're not going to say, Oh, this was a key year, but 1977, there was just a litany of films that altered how we're going to move forward in Hollywood. And now we're really starting to push towards the eighties and that is going to have a big effect when we actually get to the 80s. Now, the next year we talk about, and from here on, 
we'll be adding slasher films to this because next year we get Halloween and the birth of the slasher genre as well as all of the Star Wars ripoffs because, as Cecil and I pointed out in the 1976 episode, you don't get a film like Jaws and then not get ripoffs the next year. So you don't get a film like Star Wars and not get ripoffs the next year. 1977 was another key linchpin year here. Peter, even if you're not in 1977's tro- 1977 tropes, where could people find you? Well, you can find me uh, fighting a bat on a screen uh, on a string, a bat on a string in a neon lit room, and, and other uh, Italian exploitation Dario Argento references uh, on YouTube for the Cinemasochist, Twitter at Cinematic, on Facebook, uh, the Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com. Cecil, if people want to see you talking about films that are not Star Wars, where would they go? <laughs> You can find me talking uh, about not Star Wars, but I will be talking about a whole slew of Corman Star Wars ripoffs pretty soon. The uh, at escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, and youtube.com uh, slash goodbadflicks, I think is the, the URL. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, remember... There were other films that came out in 77 besides Star Wars, despite what what Cecil will lead you to believe. Check out some of the ones we mentioned tonight. Have a good night. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Star Wars. Is she really going out with him?
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.